Hello everybody, this is Lindsay with Tea Time with Linz. Thank you again, Poe the Passenger, for the intro music and outro music. You guys rock. Thank you so much. So today's guest is casting director Zita Zutikonak. Zita is a casting director with ET Casting. They cast multiple projects such as commercials, films, music videos, still photography, you name it, they do it. I hope you enjoy this interview. It was very inspiring just listening to Zita's journey from being a child actor in Serbia to making her way to the England, to the England, to the United Kingdom, England, um, and falling in love with directing and having that as her passion for a long, long time until she switched gears multiple times over and found her way into casting. It's a fantastic story. Thank you so much, Zita, for coming onto the show and listen to some of Zita's um casting do's and don'ts that she prefers obviously every casting director is different but these are just seaters and also i know a lot of casting directors have the same things for do's and don'ts in self-tapes and auditions and all that jazz so i hope you enjoyed this episode and once again zita thank you so much for coming on enjoy when was it when you decided you wanted to get into drama and theater and films and all that jazz Oh, crikey. Do you want the long story or the short story? <laughs> it's, a, it's an epic tale of different paths and meandering along the way. Well, because um, I do remember that when we went to Kingston together, you were into directing. And then when we went to Central, obviously that was your thing. And then you yeah, gone off. It all kind of, I mean, it's it kind of, it started basically, I was six years old. And my mum asked me if I wanted to go to this drama studio for kids back home in, in Belgrade in Serbia. Um, they, it was like um, free to go. You had to audition. And that was the place that all the big like TV shows and theatre productions and films would get kids from. Mm-hmm. Because in Serbia, we don't have agents and casting directors and stuff. It's, it's a very different process. And I was just one of those kids who just wanted to do everything and said yes to everything. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I was there for 11 years in total. Oh, wow. And during that time, I did lots of different professional gigs as a child actor. And then it got to the point of finishing high school and deciding what I wanted to study. And I just felt, because in Serbia, the way it, there's only a drama school model, there's no, you know, studying drama broadly as we do um, here at university level and I just felt like acting is great and I've enjoyed it but I don't know whether that's because it's something that I chose or whether it's just because I've been doing it for so long and now it's just this thing that I do yeah and I felt I wanted to explore different production roles as it were Mm -hmm. Um, and then I through some friends ended up coming to um going to Edinburgh and working at the Fringe for two years in a row, oh, nice. um, just as a PA to um, the famous Professor Richard DeMarco. He's this bigger-than-life character, <laughs> and he basically, his art foundation was co-producing a bunch of different shows with Rocket, and they had their venues. And then ended up meeting some people from Kingston, and they were saying, ah, oh, we, we do drama, it's the best course. We've just, it, they were like, they were the first year of drama at Kingston. And I just love the idea that you can come here, here being London, well, Kingston, sorry, and just kind of expose yourself 
to different different things, different mm-hmm. aspects of the job and the industry. Um, and so I ended up doing drama and film. And again, very much started thinking that most likely I will end up being an actor mm-hmm. until I directed my first production. And then I thought, well, no, sod acting. This is way more fun. <laughs> <laughs> And it was a it was it was a weird one as well because I ended up being performing in the show as well due to people different people kind of um, pulling out last minute and not being able to find anyone else and all I remember is the process and loving the process of working with the actors so much and then at the same time not being excited by being on stage myself whatsoever kind of being on stage and you know doing my lines and stuff but just being hyper aware of everyone else and what they're doing and whether it's all kind of going the way it's supposed to be and just thinking oh isn't this funny I spent all these years doing this one thing thinking it was the thing and now I'm here and I've just been exposed to this other side once you know for the duration of like however many weeks but you remember what it was like like shows at Kingston it's not like we rehearsed for months on end you know yeah and I just thought, well, that's that's really interesting. And so that's kind of when the whole directing thing came about. And as we all do, I had, you know, big dreams of, you know, being a theatre director and creating exciting, fun work. And mm-hmm. um, so after Kingston, I went to Central. I was on the directing strand. That, that was a very interesting experience for me. I think, I mean, a lot of people share the same sentiment I don't know if if you do but for me you know we did drama at university level and then obviously went to drama school and I kind of in my head that was going to be this like a massive step up and it's going to be this elevated experience and Mm. also naively perhaps I thought well then after that it will all just start happening and these offers will start coming (laughs) and I'll be assisting these people and I'll be like doing some fringe shows it will all be happening yeah and I don't know whether that's because we're on the MA program and maybe people who do BA at drama school kind of get to have a different experience or whether that was just the nature of our course or maybe our school specifically, I'm not sure. But after after Central, um, I formed a theatre company with our mutual friend, Lauren, um, Lauren Hart. And, yeah, Lauren. and that was kind of a extension of the work that we were doing at Central to a certain extent. So it mm-hmm. was devised site-specific interactive performances and we kind of did that for a couple of years and did lots of I suppose it was kind of difficult to maybe put it in a in a in a box it was somewhere between theatre and maybe performance arts live art kind of a bit all of that mixed in together if you will it's good Um, you did it for a couple of years after it was it was great fun I mean like we went to a bunch of festivals and met lots of really interesting people along the way like other theatre makers and we're actually getting ready to do like a first proper big show where we were hiring a space and we had three other actors involved I was I was only directing uh, Lauren was performing but we were kind of devising stuff together yeah and and we were getting ready to do this thing but obviously you know all the entry fees for all the festivals and all the you know going to Bristol and doing this and all this stuff we were financing it all ourselves at the time mm-hmm. We both had, if I remember correctly, like two, three part-time jobs each, something crazy like that, like a bar and a shop and just making it all happen. And then every spare moment, just meeting up and making the work and applying and funding, the funding applications and all this craziness. And we were advised by 
several people who were kind of further along the like further along the, their journey of, of being theatre practitioners um, but there was kind of no point of applying for any funding at the time that was just before the Olympics um, and they were saying you know like lots of theatre companies who've had Arts Council funding for years have lost theirs um, and now's not the right time etc cetera, etc cetera. and so that you so you didn't apply because of that or no I mean we, we were applying at the time but then I think what ended up happening with that show that we were very much working on, I just got to a point where it felt like because we were doing it all ourselves and mm-hmm. it was very much an independent production in every way, shape or form. And we were both working so hard yeah. when we weren't making the work mm-hmm. that we can then only, you know, like meet up a few times a week to rehearse. And, and in my head, it was like, well, this is not this is not right. I want to do all of this mm-hmm. but I want to do it properly and yeah. full-time and committed yeah because and it started feeling a little bit like a hobby uh-huh. and that's when I kind of made the decision to step away from it all because I just thought well, if I can't do it the way I feel it should be done yeah with my full commitment you know both time and energy wise mm-hmm. then I'd rather not do it at all yeah and it was very very hard because obviously you know theater had been the biggest thing in my life since you know forever yeah since you were six and years old wow yes yeah. so really it's super it's really daunting as well especially when you make that realization that it's not going the way you want and it's it's so hard hmm. it's so hard and it's, but it's to the me. point that like any any theater production that I saw for like a year up to a year maybe even longer after that mm-hmm. I just like I would go and watch the most mediocre show you could possibly yeah. imagine and I'd come out and I'd be so upset and so sad and missing it so much and it was just it's crazy absolutely crazy but I still I, I never felt like I made the wrong decision it was just I don't know I think in a weird way I think theatre especially I think especially if you're a director it's such a difficult thing to get into um you know because there is there is a much clearer process you know if if you're an actor you get you have an agent you say you know I'd love to do theatre work they put you up you go for auditions you know you get the work you don't get the work but you know you're out there your work you're doing your thing Mm -hmm. same with you know all the other production roles but with directing it's kind of it feels like people who are actively doing it at a professional level have kind of fallen into it randomly or, you know, I don't know, they were reading English at Oxford and Cambridge. That seems to be the kind of most popular way of, of getting into directing yeah. in the UK. Um, and it just felt like there was no, I remember applying for like a couple of assisting jobs and not even getting an interview and being told like, oh, we had over 1500 applications mm-hmm. for like an assistant director job that wasn't even paying minimal wage. Oof. No. So then it's like, okay, well, this is then for people who live at home and can do this because they don't need any money to pay rent or bills or, you know, it just felt very, very unattainable. And I had several friends at the time who were kind of trying to do a similar thing, you know, having their theatre companies and kind of making the work and really cool, interesting, fun stuff. But it all eventually kind of fizzled out because, you know, no one was getting paid. No one was getting any funding. I think it's if, if you're, it's, it's different, I think, because theatre is such a collaborative art form, you know, if you're a musician, or if you're a writer, or, you know, you can just 
sit at home and do your thing and make make the work you know yeah as a theater director you need a bunch of other people to be doing things together and to start off with then you need a rehearsal space and it's you know it just involves all this moving elements yeah it all adds um, up and especially when you don't yeah. have the financial support like I've I even that's been like a huge thing in acting as well like when you don't have money for headshots you don't have money to go to drama school at a particular time you don't have money to take this class it's like what it just gets to the point where you're like well, what's the fucking point point? and it's so hard and it's yeah it is really frustrating and it's just yeah so I feel your pain about quitting directing but then you did go on to something but then it all worked out in the end it all worked out it's all worked out <laughs> yeah well, from, from there, because my husband at the time was working for a production company um, uh-huh. called Partizan. They were, like, really big at the time. I mean, they're still around. And they do lots of commercials and music videos and do a little bit of kind of film and stuff. And uh, and he just suggested, he was like, well, why don't you, you know, I'll just get in touch with some of my producers at work. Like, just come and be a runner on some shoots and just see what that feels like. Yeah. And then... Four years later, I'm kind of full-time assistant directing. Um, third ADing, second ADing here and there. Um, lots of commercial work, a bit of TV, bit of feature films as well, which is what I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved being an AD and I, I love being on set. And we talk about it so often. I mean, he's an editor. He doesn't ever get to go on set, but the few times that he does, he's just, we always talk about just this kind of insane, intense energy and this kind of bond that you get with the people because it's always, you know, you're always doing like, oh, it's a 19 hour day and everyone's delirious from Mm -hmm. exhaustion. And, but you just kind of bond because it's such an extreme environment. Yeah, there's something Um, magical about it. And I, I really, really loved it. And I had like couple of really nice teams that I would work with um, frequently and it was nice because it was you know I was self-employed and I can kind of more or less pick when I wanted to work and who I wanted to work with and stuff and that was all going great but I did I worked on a slight digression I worked on a on a Tim Burton stop-motion animation film um, as a third assistant director which in stop-motion it's like a weird kind of your what we call a floor first so you have 10 sets Mm -hmm. and this is stop motion so they're like puppets they're made to to scale um you've got 10 of your sets that you're in full control of set builds lighting when the animators are going in and you're kind of managing that whole process and making sure that everyone's hitting their targets etc and you're reporting Mm -hmm. back to the overall second and the first and it was such an interesting process in the sense that, A, I got to work on a film for nine months, which is insane. Yeah. Um, because normally, you know, commercial shoots, you'd go in and you do a day up to sometimes, you know, on really epic stuff, like you'll do like five days or a week or whatever. Yeah. Um, same with film, you know, it's, I don't know, anything from six up to 12 weeks or whatever. This is nine months of the same team and just really developing those relationships and also getting to understand the filmmaking process. I mean, a very specific filmmaking process because of stop motion animation, but just, you know, getting to see how VFX works and what happens at the edit and, you know, what the people at the puppet hospital are doing and the art department, and you're involved with all of it. Yeah. And then after that ended, I kind of 
go back to doing some commercial work and I just thought the the thing that I loved about the the animation film was the fact that I actually got to be involved creatively yeah and being an assistant director isn't really about having creative input in Mm -hmm. the overall you know thing that's going on you're more kind of there to manage everyone yeah. and make to track. make sure that everything yeah. yeah is happening as it's supposed to and that you know people are meeting their targets and you're kind of that's that's your yeah. role and I just felt that I needed something a bit more creative and ultimately I missed working with actors um, and then I did the whole thing of like okay well I don't want to do this I don't want to go back to commercials all due respect it's been great fun but I need something different I set up a bunch of meetings with all sorts of friends who are in the industry Mm-hmm. And was just kind of picking people's brains as to what what to get into. And then a very good friend who's uh, who's producer, a good friend of mine said, well, it's all about casting. And it's the weirdest thing because obviously, you know, I watch stuff all the time, always have, film, TV, just obsessively. Unless you're an actor, I suppose. You see that there's, you know, there's a casting director and that credit comes up pretty early on. Mm-hmm. But you just, it just doesn't register that that's, like a job that people do or it's just it means nothing it's just like a thing you know oh yeah, yeah you, you, you kind of know what a casting director is but not really um and I thought oh okay yeah sure why not <laughs> and then I went for a meeting with um two lovely women called um Kate Evans and Luce Manitsky they run Kate and Lou casting um and I started doing a little bit of assisting work for them and it was a lot of street casting, which is still a popular thing over here. But luckily, we don't go out on the street anymore. It's all kind of research-based, basically looking for real people who either fit the brief or have a very unique story to tell um, for, for commercial work. I mean. mm-hmm. And then that's kind of how it all started. Assisted a few other people, did some short films by myself through people I knew, and discover that casting is actually perfect because I get to direct the actors mm-hmm. in the studio when they come to audition yeah um, and the beauty of it all is that we're not making something that someone will then go and watch and like or dislike or critique or it'll fail or you know that pressure is taking off mm-hmm. my job is to present however many options of the people who I feel fit the brief yeah. and to work with them on the day to get the best out of them. So that in an ideal world, you know, my director will watch a casting and think, oh my God, I don't know who to choose because all of these people are brilliant. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a quite kind of good marriage of my skill set and what I enjoy about the whole filmmaking process. So um, just a quick question. Yes, because I don't know what it's like in the UK right now, but here in LA and just in America in general, they are doing a lot of self tapes now, especially due to the pandemic. So, but a lot of people who I'm speaking to are saying that even after the pandemic actually calms down, self tapes are going to be like the thing instead of going like, because here, for example, if you go to do a commercial audition, you drive down to like Santa Monica and that you can hear so much traffic and even directors and the casting directors are just like well 
if we can do the first audition either via Zoom or a self-tape, it's going to save us renting a studio space. It's going to spend us time in traffic. It's going to spend, it's going to save so much time on that. So what are your thoughts about self-tapes being just for like the first stage? Because obviously if you do a callback, that ideally is going to be in person. But what are your thoughts on all the changing? Do you know what? It's, um, I'm a bit conflicted in this. Firstly, I mean, we started doing a fair amount of tapes even before the pandemic Mm -hmm. uh, and mainly on say short films or, you know, low budget features where production don't have, you know, money to spend on hours and hours of studio of us, you know, seeing however many people. So in that sense is great because we can say if you have, you know, for example, a day um, to figure out all the, all the day players, for example, Mm -hmm. that only gives me, you know, if I'm doing, I don't know, say a handful, like five, five different characters, that only gives me like four or five options per, per character, which is very, very limiting. With self-tapes, I can get a lot more people in, as it were. Yeah. I, can, I can request a lot more self-tapes. So in that sense, I think it's great that we have the technology. And, and I'm always so impressed by, by actors sending in like insane stuff. Like we've had so many people who either have a full-on professional setup at home mm-hmm. and it looks like they've just gone to a studio and it's just all like zero notes um or you even have people who even for commercial castings I'll never forget this one guy we were doing um I think it was a car commercial or something and it's like a dad he comes home and it's interaction with the wife and with the kid and he's literally played out the whole scene and we were we kept joking like and he did get the part I mean not because of that but because he was the best person for it but we're like just just use use his tape for the commercial yeah. <laughs> like he's done it all it's crazy and I can kind of imagine from from your guys point of view from Max's point of view that it's you know you do it in your own time you do it at home you do 6,000 takes if you want you get to edit it all afterwards you know y- you are fully in control of what you're yeah. putting out Mm-hmm. Um, there's no, you know, oh, nerves and, oh, I wanted to go again, but I didn't ask and shouldn't I have? And all of, all of that is yeah. taken out, which I think is on the one hand brilliant, but on the other hand, quite selfishly, the reason I do this job is so that I get to be in the room with the people and that interaction, that yeah. dialogue that happens, you know? Yeah. And the most exciting, I mean, I've, I've said this so many times, the most exciting thing for me is that when someone comes in and they've thought of the character in a certain way and they prepared the whatever it is that we're working on that day in a certain way, how they see it, it's their interpretation. And then I just throw something else at them, something completely different. And they take that on and run with it yeah, and deliver something that neither one of us could have expected. Yeah. And that's 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 why I do what I do. It's interesting you say that because I I have a friend who he's auditioning a lot for TV and he was saying that he did he's doing the self tapes, sending them in, but then the casting director will be like, Okay, it's great, but and so it it's like a three day process now with the self taping because they'll give notes, he'll redo it, send it back in, and then they'll be like, Okay, you're almost there because they're they're obviously like 
rallying for whoever they just want the best out of the actors and especially when you've worked with casting directors before and you've kind of you've built that relationship and they know you and they know what you can do so sometimes the self-tape oh my gosh when he tells his stories I'm like whoo it's like a three four day process (laughs) it's strange yeah whereas you know if if he was to come in yeah. That all happens within the 15, oh, 20 minutes, half an hour. Absolutely. So on the one hand, it's kind of cutting out a lot of time and expense, etc. But on the other hand, it's more work for the actor. And again, in a way, sometimes more work for us because then it's like, you know, request the tapes and all the info. The agent has got it. We'll pass it on. Then they need to upload to, to wherever they're uploading to. Um, luckily, like there's ways of doing it now. So you don't have to like, you know, be downloading we transfers all day long because that is yeah. what we did not that long ago um but then it's like for example there's there's a thing missing or there's you know they've missed off a page or a really important line or you know now we want something different than this the back and forth and the back and then it's you know then it does create more work than if people would just come in yeah I think it does I in an ideal world I'd like to think that yes maybe you know let's have all the kind of first rounds by a take and then mm-hmm. even before callbacks, maybe, you know, not just, oh, we're just going to meet with three people out of all these people that we've seen. Because I feel often you can't necessarily always get a sense of a person and who they are as a performer purely via tape. There's yeah. so much else that happens when the camera isn't rolling. And more importantly for us and then also for the director is to see their creative process firsthand so the thing that we we're talking about you know you come mm-hmm. in you've you've done your interpretation a certain way I give you a note then I want to see how you respond to that in the moment and what you do with it and then that kind of back and forth is is useful yeah. for, for people for directors which is why I think you know good directors get to sit in on a lot of castings whether whether they actively get involved or not whether they just observe but there's Mm -hmm. so much else that goes on so I'd like to think that I mean you know self-tapes are not going anywhere and and I'm sure same with you know zoom castings but it saddens me because again you know the reason why I do what I do is so that I get to do it in person yeah so we'll see (laughs) so just because I get I just see this a lot on like social media and stuff. What are some of, with casting self-tapes, what is your ideal self-tape? Because you were saying about the car commercial and the guy doing the whole thing. And obviously that's fantastic. And I have heard a story. I can't remember who it was. I feel like, I feel like it was for a Spider-Man film or something. And there was an actor, he didn't get the role. But and he's a famous actor. I just oh my god, his name has slipped my mind. But he was like in the last like three to get the Spider-Man film. He put in so much of his own money to basically make a Spider-Man short. And this is a well-known actor. It's gonna really bug me now. I'm gonna have to find the name and just put it up later. Okay. <laughs> and apparently it was like amazing. You can find it online and it's like the most incredible thing, but he just didn't fit the bill. But like, if somebody, obviously they sent you this car commercial, but then obviously on the flip side of that, it's just like, obviously casting directors do like it when people have their setup, like with their ring light and like their 
camera or laptop all and clean background so it's just it's a really weird fine line and like props do you use props do you like costume like it's such a it's such an interesting thing because I feel like casting directors and people in general don't know what they're looking for or like they think that they're just like oh don't do costumes but then you see someone with a costume and you're just like oh that looks really looks really good <laughs> do you know what I mean so I feel like I see loads of like do's and don'ts for casting but then I hear so many like conflicting things like what you were saying about that guy with a car commercial and he books the role you know what it's 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 a really funny one we always get asked for do's and don'ts um <laughs> ultimately I think see it's very it's very again very different you know when it comes to self-tapes and then when it comes to in-person casting I think for me personally I would never discount someone just because you know the background isn't ideal or they're not perfectly lit or you know if yeah. the performance is good and I can see it and I can see their face and uh-huh. the audio is good and I can hear what they're saying you know yeah and I was able to like get the file when I was supposed to get it and download it and open it and like the, the basics you know yeah I think it's lovely that people are making a lot of effort to make it look really professional I understand that but that is not the reason I would ever, you know, recommend someone for the job or not because, oh, you know, they have such a nice setup or, you know, look at them so unprofessional, you know, you can just see there's a sheet behind, oh, shocking, you know. Yeah. Absolutely not. In terms of costume and props and stuff, I think like with everything, you know, there's, there's a balance and there's, if your character is having a cup of coffee. Yeah. Of course, have the mug to hand. Why would you mind? I mean, it's just common sense. Yeah. But also at the same time, if you're auditioning for something, period, I'm not expecting you to f- rock up in, in a full <laughs> get up, you know? And I we always like... say like... <laughs> so I feel like Elijah Wood do, did that for Lord of the Rings. I've heard that story oh, well. where, he, where he dressed up as a hobbit. Oh, there you go. I don't know if that's true, but that's just what I heard like when Lord of the Rings came out. But we always used to say to people like, you know, if if there's if there is, for example, like, oh, you know, there's it's like a period casting, say for girls, you know, maybe just like put your hair up, you know, don't come with like straightened down, you know, little kind of hints. Just hints, subtle hints. Yeah, exactly. That will just kind of help the director or the client or whoever's, you know, watching just imagine you because I think sometimes not everyone as in you know, the decision makers end has the ability or necessarily the imagination you know if they imagine someone as a you know five foot seven tall skinny blonde you know looking a certain way whatever and then mm-hmm. someone else completely different comes along I think sometimes it's difficult for people to make that switch and just disregard everything else and just focus on the performance Mm-hmm. so you kind of do little things to help yourself um but for me I would say you know a, a full costume and kind of going overboard if you enjoy doing it <laughs> if you feel that you are giving a better performance because of it if I mean go for it but it isn't necessary it's not necessary but you're not going to frown upon it okay no no yeah. and I mean I don't know I, I just think like with anything you know there's it's it's it acting is the hardest thing to do I think because you're just having to be so open and vulnerable Mm -hmm. all the time 
then 99% of the time you're being rejected yeah. and you're going in to this casting audition, what have you always believing that you could get it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to go in confident, but not too cocky or arrogant, open and vulnerable, but not as a bag of nerves. Like it's, it's yeah. such a, it's a difficult, difficult thing. So anything that works for you makes you feel good. I think that's also, I mean, I know, I know not everyone's the same and I've heard horror stories from friends who are actors and friends who are casting assistants, work with other casting directors and stuff. I mean, casting directors who thrive on being tough and mean and scaring people, I don't really understand how that's conducive to doing their job because no one, absolutely no one, Yes, you know, maybe, I don't know, you're working for some kind of a genius director who like likes to borderline abuse everyone on set to get the best out of them. I mean, whatever. But as a casting director, you have such a short amount of time with these people and your job is to get the best out of them. Yeah. And fear and having someone, you know, feel uncomfortable is not the way forward. No, will yeah. ever be so yeah I've definitely had that experience I think twice when the director the casting director was just so rude just from me walking into the room and I was just like oh I haven't even done anything yet <laughs> great and you can, so you can feel the energy you can feel it and you're just like and it just it's very disheartening as an actor especially when you've like got your shift covered at work mm. you've done time to like do your hair and makeup and like just look good and just be off book and it's just like as soon as you walk in you just have this energy greeted to you straight away it's really hard because you're just like great I feel like I've just fucked everything up and I haven't even haven't even said anything wonderful thanks (laughs) so yeah so I do I, I do know the majority of casting directors who I have met have been absolutely incredible and all they've wanted to do is just get the best out of you but there are always going to be that that one percent who just and I'd like to think that that one percent either they were having a really bad day yeah you just have to or assume. ultimately they don't want to be working on that particular project mm-hmm. or overall you know doing the job that they do like there's no other explanation you know yeah if you love your job that automatically means that you love actors and that you love working with actors yeah. so you know making people feel uncomfortable just does not fit into that equation at all I'd say it's it's so interesting too because I follow a lot of casting directors on Twitter and social media and there was something that happened in December where a casting director kind of shamed an actor like publicly and it was it was in the UK and he got so much backlash and so much like obviously because it's just like why would you do that it wasn't like one particular person I'm assuming but it was like a broad statement he got so much backlash and then this other casting director who I follow who just seems like the nicest person was just like actors we see you we know you're doing a fantastic job we understand everything you go through keep doing it you're amazing and so it's just it's so interesting because this is such a tough industry in general so and you're all right I've got got another thing you know I've got another thing I also think that as much as I enjoy aspects of social media I don't know how I feel about casting directors using it the the way they're using it so what I mean by that is 
yes, by all means, you know, you say casting a feature film and you're looking for an up and coming 18 year old, doesn't have to have any experience and you just kind of want to put the word out there far and wide and mm-hmm. just find this brilliant person, you know, or whatever scenario yeah. you can imagine. So in that sense, great. Mm-hmm. But then there's, Lately, there's been a lot of people just using Twitter to moan about things like mm-hmm. actors not turning up or I just don't know why, I, why you would use it in that sense. Yeah. Same as why I don't understand. I also have an issue with with actors who are on social media a lot and who kind of advertise their personal life all the time. That's mm-hmm. another thing, you know, before all of this, you see someone in the film or in the TV show or theater production, what have you. And the, the whole part of the kind of infatuation with, with actors is that you don't know who they are and what they yeah. do, you know, at home. And and I think it's such a shame that a lot of mystique has been taken away yeah. from that aspect of the industry. And it's and I also understand, you know, for unfortunately for a lot of producers you know it comes down to how many followers a certain person has whether it's in the millions or the hundreds of thousands or whatever you know who Mm -hmm. who will I mean we're not in the UK we're not there just yet with that I'd like to think that it's still who the genuinely the best person is for the for the job um, and that acting abilities very much come into that rather than you know how many followers you have but it's, I just think that whole thing should just be it's, passing directors. You're you're yeah. okay to like post about like opportunities, but do not use it as a way to like berate actors or. Yeah, it's it just I would never follow this casting directors because of it. I would never want to go to one of their cast. You know what I mean? I mean, he's in the UK. I'm over here. I have done one before. And even from that, that was like 15 years ago, and I'm still scarred. <laughs> so do you know what I mean? It's the same as on Twitter. I'm not surprised. But I just, it's the same here with like what you're saying about social media present. It's been such an interesting conversation over here about that because I hear some casting directors love how many followers people have, but they're looking for a very specific thing and it's more reality TV and it's more like stuff like that. For that that kind of avenue of work, of course, makes perfect sense. But why would it if you're casting a drama or a yeah. film or a theater and, you know yeah. and i've heard multiple times over that a casting director will be like it is what you've just said if we see your tape and we know nothing about you except for your headshot your cv in front of us and your tape then that's what we go off and they some of them said yeah sometimes we look at social media afterward but it's not for like co-stars guest stars it's not a big deal if we're casting something like bigger and like like a huge huge like tv show sure we we may like it's going to be a bonus but it's not what they go after and i've heard that multiple times and it's very reassuring because i feel like actors get so caught up in the whole social media i have to have like five thousand ten thousand you know it's just like it's just such another added pressure and it's kind of unnecessary 100 percent. i mean by all means like you know be on instagram but like for your friends and your family members and yeah. you know like for the fun of it not for the how many followers do I have and like you know yeah. look at my incredible life I don't know don't, yeah, I mean don't, I have like I mean just don't feel whatever. down if you've only got like 100 followers it's like who gives a shit exactly who you know cares? I mean? <laughs> but I've, I've I mean I've I kind of through through work I've I've been um well not 
for the past year or so because since this little one's arrived I've not done very much other than just look after her and play with her and be with her and kind of try and not be on screens as much as possible Mm -hmm. and I'm still off work so um but prior to that I was quite active on Twitter for my work where I am now ET casting Mm -hmm. Uh, and then obviously my personal account and I've now that I've kind of taken a step back I just realized I don't really need it and I don't miss it and it doesn't you know bring anything to my life other than occasionally there's you know there are also some casting directors who kind of use it as a way of yes you know to say like oh thank you to the actors who came or you know worked on this cool production and stuff but then then that also has a tendency to kind of end up sounding like a big brag fest of like oh look what I'm doing I'm casting this great thing it's like you're, you're just doing it that that's the great thing about it you don't need to tell anyone you know and when the thing comes out everyone will see your name and then that's surely that's enough yeah um so yeah right. yeah is there anything else you would say as a casting director like any advice you would give to actors or just any last little tidbit you would say um advice to actors I think it's just to think long and hard whether this is what you want to do because it is very hard and it's not for everyone. And I think if you realize that it's not what you want to do, there's no shame in stepping away and doing something else because I think people don't necessarily realize that you have to have a particular psychological makeup to be able to do that job. But if it is what you want to do and you kind of throw yourself wholeheartedly uh, into it, then to try and enjoy every single second of it. And mm-hmm. to treat, you know, I can't remember someone said it, but it's like you go, you go to a casting during those 15, 20 minutes, however long you are acting, you are doing your job, whether yeah. you book it or not, that's you being an actor and doing your thing. And each one of those moments needs to be enjoyed. And you yeah. need to remind yourself that it's not. Yes, obviously, ideally, you know, everyone would be working all the time and, you know, Mm-hmm. not having to do anything else and but that's not how it works and we all know it's not so just to enjoy it and be as relaxed as you possibly can about it whether that means you know having a part-time job or several or marrying a rich man who can support you or wh- whatever, yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> or rich wife or wh- whatever the setup is um that works for you yeah just to kind of go in into the room as relaxed as you possibly can be um because from that feeling of being relaxed comes confidence oh it's a game changer which is important Mm -hmm. which is the most important thing for me I think yeah obviously other than you know someone being on the brief looking right giving me the best performance and stuff usually people who who give the best performance are the people who are so casually confident yeah that none of it is just you know and they and and you see it they come in and they're open and they listen and they take it all in and they just enjoy it yeah they just play with you know what they have at their disposal and they kind of use all their imperfections to their advantage and and they just enjoy and there's the kind of enjoyment of of play which is ultimately what it should be about yeah that is what it should be about (laughs) Dear, well, thank you so much, Sita, for coming on. You're welcome. Doing this, I appreciate that very much. You're very welcome. Thank you once again, Zita, for coming onto the show. Zita is a casting director with ET Casting. 
I hope that was informative, inspiring, all that jazz, all that and a packet of crisps. How about that? Thank you again. I found it very useful. And I also, that um, guy I was talking about was Josh Hutchins? Hutchinson? Anyway, I've put the link in the uh, description of the episode. Here's the one who did the really insanely crazy cool um, Spider-Man fighting video, whatever it was, self-tape. It's literally the fucking tits. So that is linked into the episode because I couldn't think of his name. I couldn't think of it. I couldn't think of him. Anyway. All right. And once again, Poe the Passenger, thank you again for the intro and outro music. You guys rock. All right. We'll see you next week. Happy Good Friday, everybody. Bye.